back like we never left. It's Double Move Sports. You guys already know what it is. I'm Steph Albiero. I'm here with the fantasy phenom, Alex Lott. What's up, brother? How you doing today? Man, I am doing great. I just had to go outside and quiet down some construction workers. Getting it done in my neighborhood today. So love the hard work they're doing, but not when we're trying to record a pod. <laughs> you know, if it sounds like we have new drops today, it's not actually a new drop. It's just like a, a huge, you know, truck outside my window. So, um, Steph, it's 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 great. It's time. It's football time. Draft season is upon us. I think a lot of drafts are starting to go down already. So we got a lot of good stuff to talk about today, and I am just dying to get into some of this stuff. And I mean, our our home league is drafting in eleven days. Like let let, let that sink. By the time you're listening to this, it's probably even less than that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Shout out to all of our guys in Sunday's finest, uh, Alex. One thing I got I got to make an announcement. I'm actually trying to grow a beard right now. So this is the longest Whoa. my facial has ever been since we started this show and whatever it was, October 2019. So uh, yeah, we got wow. the the new looks. We got the new vibes. Looking more it's like Marcus season. Mariota than ever. <laughs> that's my comp that's my comp yes <laughs> well guys if you like what we're doing here on the show if you want to support double move you can hit that subscribe button on youtube subscribe on spotify apple podcasts we're dropping fantasy film rooms we'll actually look at players film you know we're dropping all the analytics here on the pod and giving you our takes based on offenses roster changes coaching changes all of that, but if you want to see some actual film backing up these takes, go check out our YouTube channel if you have not had a chance to yet. Just dropped one here recently, breaking down DJ Chark, who we both love, Alex. I know you love him. And uh, follow us on Twitter if you have any questions, trade questions, want advice. We drop a lot of polls on there as well. You can kind of get a sense of where the consensus is on different players. And the last thing to plug here, we do have updated rankings on our website, doublemovesports.com. You can go check those out there. That's what I'm using when I go into my draft rooms and get ready. Uh, so I'm pretty pumped. Y'all want to check that out? Maybe even call us out. Tell us our rankings are garbage. We'd be more than happy to defend <laughs> yeah, them. Yeah, we want to hear it. We're ready for it. <laughs> We're ready to get roasted. Unless your takes are terrible, then don't try to roast us or we'll roast you back. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I'm ready for all the heat. I'm ready to go. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, anything to add here before we jump into it? Yeah, one last thing I want to mention. It's a new sponsorship we have. We're super excited about this partnership. It's yes. with Thrive Fantasy. Thrive Fantasy is a daily fantasy sports app for player prop bets. Now, Thrive Fantasy has eliminated the need to do countless hours of research because they're That's only right. going to ask you about the top tier athletes in each respective sport. For the NFL, for example, they'll give you 20 player prop bet options to choose from. You're just going to pick any 10, the 10 that you feel the most confident about. Um, each prop bet has a fantasy point total associated with the over or the under based on the likelihood to occur. And if you rack up the most points, you're going to walk out with a nice payday, a big chunk of that prize pool. So Thrive has already awarded over $1.3 million in prizes since launching Ooh. in 2018. And if you sign up today using um, the link in the description and the code DMS, you're actually going to receive $20 for free when you deposit what? $20 or more. So if you put 20 bucks in, 20 bucks on us when you use code DMS. Um, so download Thrive Fantasy, use that code, and start propping up today. 
And and guys, we're we're not doing this like we're not selling out with this. This is something that Alex and I legitimately use. I I had a prop bet the other day on. Uh, see, the thing is, you can kind of pick and choose where you feel comfortable. So I had one on just points scored in an NBA game. I had Donovan Mitchell for the over on twenty points. I made like I put two dollars in. I think I made like eight bucks, six bucks, something like that. But just I was just playing around with it. Super easy, super easy. Especially if you feel like you know our, if you know your stuff and. I know our listeners certainly know their stuff because they're listening to us and we know our stuff. So I feel great come NFL season to start throwing those prop bets out there. But let's jump into it here. Alex, I'm pretty excited for this first one. It's it, We're starting off with a running back. It's it's James Conner. The the questions, there, there's so many questions with James Conner. He's going right now as the RB20 in ADP. We're looking at all of our ADPs here, guys, are from uh, 4 for 4. So they add up. CBS rankings, ESPN rankings, FFPC. So those are pro fantasy football leagues, high stakes leagues, uh, NFL's rankings, Yahoo's rankings. So RB20, where are you willing to draft? Are you even willing to draft James Conner this year? I'm willing to draft James Conner, but it's tough for me to grab him at the current ADP. I've only found myself taking him if it's as my RB3. Um, Basically, I just don't want to have to count on James Conner for the full season, knowing that he's probably going to miss some time. So for me, it, it's not an indictment on James Conner as a player. It's simply just his health and whether he can stay on the field. I have him as my RB24 right now, and that accounts for injury risk. But I think there's probably not a realistic scenario where he's just going to be like a low-end RB2 every single week. I think when he's out there, he's going to be a high-end RB2 or an RB1. And some weeks he's going to be hurt, and you're not just gonna, you're just not going to get anything out of him. So it's tough with James Conner because we have to account for the injuries he's had to this point in his career. He's missed nine games in the last two seasons. And after a great year two seasons ago, he was very, very disappointing last season. Although the one game he went off, he did actually give me an L on Monday Night Football in our home league. So that was mm. a bummer. But, but Steph, <laughs> I have a quick question for you with James Conner. I think we both agree that the talent and the potential workload is there when he plays. If he played all 16 games, if we knew for a fact he was not going to miss any time, where would we rank James Conner right now? I mean, I, I, if I knew for a fact, it'd probably be like RB10, like low-end RB1, maybe even like, what was he that one year, RB8? Yeah, I'd say a top 10 back, no doubt. He finished as RB16 last year in points per game, and he was battling injuries all season. So who knows how many games he played where he was banged up. And two years ago, he finished as the RB6. So we know the upside is there. Mike Tomlin wants to use one workhorse back. He always has, and it hasn't mattered who it's been. Um, And something I found really interesting, Steph, here are the running back ranks in terms of snap percentage at the running back spot for the Steelers the past few years. So last year, actually not last year, we'll go two years ago because Connor was in and out last season. But in 2018, Connor was sixth amongst running backs in snap percentage. 2017, Le'Veon Bell was first. 2016, Le'Veon Bell was third. 2015, D'Angelo Williams was in there, and he was second amongst running backs in snap percentage. Then Le'Veon Bell in 2014 was second in snap percentage. So when Tomlin gets a guy as his clear starter, he wants to keep them on the field and give them a ton of work. He wants to keep them in rhythm. He wants someone that can catch the ball well and run the ball well, and James Conner can do that. So Again, like I, I don't mind Connor as my RB3. I think he has upside to be valuable when he's healthy. But if I'm going to rely on him as my RB2, I think there's a chance he's actually going to be out of the lineup too often for me to really feel comfortable with him in drafts when there's other great players on the board, like the Jonathan Taylors of the world. 
Yeah, I was glad to see that that Connor's ADP did fall a bit. He was going like early third round at the start of the offseason. Now he's like the 405 is where his ADP kind of slots him in. It's just the health is such a concern. A quadriceps contusion, an AC joint sprain, a quadriceps strain, two ankle sprains, and a knee sprain. It's just there's a lot of red flags here. He's, he's, I don't want to say injury prone, but he's fragile. We all know like his success story as a cancer survivor, you kind of add that in with some COVID risk. I just, it, it's tough to see him playing a full 16. Probably. I mean, if you had to guess, what would you say? I'd say in that like 10 game range. And that's, I mean, last year when he was battling the injury, he saw a snap share completely plummet. He was 80% of snaps in 2018, 54% last year, which is just it's awful. And that, that's factoring in the games that he played. We had Jalen Samuels taking away touches from him in the air, through the air. Benny Snell getting touches uh, on the ground. And then dr- the draft pick of Anthony McFarlane. That's like the stamp of approval to me in terms of like the Steelers are telling us that there is concern here. Like they're concerned to the point where they're tr- drafting Anthony McFarlane. So look, if Connor's healthy, he, he's going to get the touchdowns, the passing work. He'll be there. I mean, he is a bell cow running back. He'll be a borderline RB1 if he's healthy and plays, but there's just there's just too many question marks. You add in really a question mark that all the Steelers players come with, which is the Big Ben concerns. And and really, the the I'm surprised by this. The Steelers didn't do anything in the backup quarterback position. They didn't sign anybody. They didn't sign Cam when they had the chance. They didn't bring in Jameis. They didn't draft anybody. Like, there, there's a lot of concerns for me yeah, there if brutal. Ben's not firing in all cylinders. And even if he is back and healthy, I don't think Pittsburgh is going to let him throw the ball 689 times like they did in 2018, which was the last time he played a full healthy season. So I think they're going to limit him, probably ease him in. I'm not going to say 600 attempts is out of the realm of possibility here, but this Pittsburgh defense has improved – significantly since the last time Big Ben was healthy. So I think they're going to try to run out the clock here, let their incredible defense with uh, the TJ Watt breakout, the you know acquisition and subsequent breakout of Minka Fitzpatrick. I mean, that they're not going to need Big Ben to throw the ball 600 times, I don't think. Um, so that's where James Conner is really appealing for, for running back usage. But I, I'm probably not going to have him any of my teams because I'm, I'm going to go running back, running back in the first two rounds more often than not. Yeah, I agree, and that could lead to some pretty positive games, game scripts for James Conner if they're just they're just you know crushing the clock out. But it, it leads to the question of if they're if they're able to get a lead in games or they're playing that tough defense and it's not a one score game and they're trying to run the clock out. Why run the tread on Conner's tires knowing that he's right. going to get banged up if they leave him out there? So I wouldn't be surprised if they're up in games throw Benny Snell out there to run out the clock, which is a little bit concerning in a sense. And you said Anthony McFarland, I mean, fourth round draft capital isn't insanely high for a running back, but it's it's high enough. And, and he's a gadget player to where if he's starting to take away even 25% of James Conner's work through the air, that's something that's going to cut into you know his value in fantasy football. So again, when Conner's out there with Big Ben, if this offense gets back to where they were before Roethlisberger's injury, James Conner is going to be valuable when he plays. And, you know, at that ADP, though, I'm just not willing to take the risk. I think there's upside in players like Jonathan Taylor at that spot who gives you that boom, you know, RB1 potential, but he doesn't involve the same risks as James Conner. So, again, like I'm willing to take him if he falls dramatically in my draft, but I'm probably not going to end up with him because at the same rate, there's just a lot of wide receivers in that same range. And even if some of the running backs are on the board, 
or off the board. I'll, I'll take DJ Chark. I'll take Tyler Lockett as my wide receiver two or my wide receiver three before I'm going to take the chance on James Conner. So that's why that's where I'm at with him. And Steph, one last thing before we move on. Is James Conner kind of the A.J. Green of the running back position this year? We're talking a lot about A.J. Green as every time he's been out there healthy, he's been a stud wide receiver one, and the sample size is much smaller with James Conner, but it's kind of a similar scenario. When they're healthy and when they're playing, they're going to give you value, but no one's really counting on them to play 16 games. Man, I, I really don't think the upside for James Conner is quite as high well, I don't know. I don't know. He was RB six in twenty eighteen. That, that's yeah, that's like I'm thinking it through, and it's like, especially in PPR. I, I actually would equate those two in terms of their ceiling being in that mid one range, a top twelve option if they play all season. When they're on the field, fully healthy, ready to go, they're going to be great. But you just have to hedge, and that's kind of baked into the ADP on both of these guys. Granted, I love AJ Green's ADP is like the wide receiver thirty one right now. Much better than I like James Conner. He's not costing you, know, you nearly the running as much. back twenty. Exactly, exactly. Yep. Well, let's assume we go running back, running back, and now you're early third round, and it's a three hundred four, and Allen Robinson is sitting there. Are you pulling the trigger with Robinson as your wide receiver one? Do you feel comfortable with Allen Robinson as your wide receiver one in twenty twenty? You know, if if Allen Robinson is my wide receiver one, it's like you said, it's because I went running back, running back in the first two rounds. And I'm loaded with two stud running backs. And Robinson has proven to me that he can be a wide receiver one in the NFL. So to me, Robinson's a guy who is a safer option. And if I'm taking two elite running backs, I don't mind a super steady and safe wide receiver one in Robinson because, you know, he he lacks some of that upside just because of the offense. Um, but but I think his floor is actually super high, even on this Bears team that seems a little bit volatile. I look at last season and, you know, he finished as what the wide receiver eight in that tragic offense with Mitch Trubisky <laughs> and the Bears yeah. falling apart. He finished as wide receiver eight in that offense. And that offense last season was 29th in yards per game and 29th in points per game. That was behind the Dolphins in both categories. Um, so, you know, this offense was absolutely brutal in 2019, and he still was a top eight guy. So looking forward to this season, you know, they bring in Nick Foles. And I don't necessarily think Nick Foles is a huge upgrade from Mitch Trubisky, but I think between the two quarterbacks, they're going to find better value than they had last season. You know, if Trubisky starts out hot, maybe there's a fire lit under him by Foles. He's going to probably play a little bit better. And instead of, you know, taking Trubisky out and going with Chase Daniel, they have Nick Foles, who hopefully can come in and be effective if Trubisky is struggling. So they kind of have more options there in the quarterback room, which is only going to help. And I look at Robinson, it's just a volume play, right? Like he's going to get 140 to 150 targets this season. Um, he was third in the NFL in targets last season. So the volume's going to be there. Anthony Miller's there, but they don't really throw the ball a ton to anybody else, maybe Cohen out of the backfield. But really the other thing with with Allen Robinson is that he's going to score touchdowns. He had seven last season and he had a 30% target share in the red zone. So when they get down in the scoring zone, they're looking to Allen Robinson to score touchdowns for this team. He was second in target share in the red zone last season in the entire NFL. So I think they're going to get down in that scoring zone and they're going to look to him early and often. And if the offense is better this season, there should be many more opportunities for him down in that range this season. So Steph, are you with me? Like, I know I have Allen Robinson in our dynasty, so maybe I'm a little bit biased, but if you go running back, running back, is there anything that's scaring you away from A-Rob? No, not at all. Not at all. He's a proven alpha wide receiver one in the league. Any team he's been on, he's pretty much guaranteed to get the most targets. Even when he misses 
three or four games. Like there was that one season. I think it was just either his first season with the Bears, I believe it was. Uh, maybe his second to last season with Jacksonville before he missed pretty much an entire season. He didn't even play a full 16 games and still led the team in targets by a significant margin. So if he's out there, he's going to dominate. I love Allen Robinson. I think he's perennially slept on from a talent, like general NFL Absolutely. perspective. I think fantasy players are, are you know, on board with A-Rob. But the thing I like about Nick Foles is, coming in is that, okay, let's say Trubisky plays better. That's a win for Allen Robinson. If Trubisky crumbles and Foles just comes in, I, I think Nick Foles is completely washed. But if he comes yeah, in, he's not great. If he comes in and he's just okay, what that's really doing is is now you get even a higher floor for Allen Robinson. So it's like if the wheels come off, well then we'll put Nick Foles in there, and even if Nick Foles is just playing decent, that's completely fine. That's better than a situation where Mitchell Trubisky is throwing seventeen touchdowns and ten interceptions like he did last year. So. I love A-Rob. If he's there in the third and I have two bell cow running backs, like a like a Dalvin Cook, Nick Chubb, or an Alvin Kamara, Todd Gurley, I'm oh, yeah. gladly pulling the trigger on Robinson as my one. No question. This is this is something that's kind of tough to like pull the trigger on on draft day, though, because even when we're running mocks, it's hard for me to pick a name like Allen Robinson over, you know, the, the Amari Coopers, the Kenny Galladays, the Mike Evans of the world. Just really? because Allen Robinson isn't as sexy of a name, and I have him ranked way higher than those guys. Allen Robinson is my wide receiver six, so I believe he's going to get it done. It's just really tough because you want upside in fantasy, but I don't think Robinson is a guy who can finish as the wide receiver one, but I think his floor is just incredibly high. And even though some of those other names are on the board, it's like it doesn't feel good, but when you're starting to put up solid weeks with him week in and week out and you're just crushing teams – People are going to, you know, look back and be like, dang, Allen Robinson was the right pick there in what, the third round? So, yep, you know, third. it's tough to stare. At I'm glad we're asking this question because it's been tough for me and Mox, even though I am high on him in my rankings, to stare him down and feel good about him as my wide receiver one. But the facts line up, my rankings line up, the facts line up, he's safe. And you can't really talk about Allen Robinson without talking about the fact that he can produce with bad quarterbacks. Like the 2015 season with Blake Bortles, I know it was a lifetime ago, but he had 1,400 <laughs> yards and 14 touchdowns Unreal. with Blake Bortles as his quarterback. Unreal. He's still only going to be 27 this season. So, you know, Allen Robinson can get it done. I know his yards per catch was a little bit lower last year, but back back in that huge season with Blake Bortles, his, his yards per catch was four or five yards higher. So he's an explosive player. He can get it done. I mean, he feels incredibly safe um, at that wide receiver one spot. Let's talk about Christian McCaffrey. If we're talking about the number one, McCaffrey pretty much dominates all of that. Uh, do you think he's going to repeat here as the RB1? We have him in our rankings. He's our consensus one, as is everybody else uh, in the fantasy industry saying the same thing. Do you think it's – I mean, we, we don't often see running backs repeat as the one on back-to-back -back seasons. Are you projecting that or predicting that for McCaffrey? Steph, I actually think I want to get your take first on this one. I, I have a feeling we might disagree a little bit. I think it's hard to disagree Whoa. with McCaffrey being the running back one. Like like you said, he's our consensus one. But I want to get your take first on this one before I dive in. The first thing from a, from a fantasy analysis standpoint is there is definite regression that's going to occur. He was far and away number one in every single stat category that you could possibly think of touches yardage touchdowns like he was one or two in all of those 
if you had him on a team last year, you won your league. You yeah. won your league. And I think it'd be silly to predict for McCaffrey to have you know what was already a massively historic season. It, it's t- silly to project him to go higher to exceed that. I'm not so I'm not going to go into that too much. I think it could potentially happen with the game scripts that this team's going to see. But let's let's put that to the side. Their defense got way worse with Luke Keekley retiring. They drafted a bunch of young guys. There will be negative game scripts in Carolina. If the Joe Brady offense under Matt Rule doesn't make this offense revolve 100% around Christian McCaffrey, they're just idiots. They're dumb. Teddy is good, but not great. But McCaffrey will help him. He's a quarterback's best friend. Think about CEH last year at LSU in Joe Brady's offense. 55 receptions. That's a lot for a college running back. It'll be there in space for McCaffrey. And maybe, just maybe, the offense is better and it helps McCaffrey score even more. But here's the thing. If the wheels fall off, McCaffrey can still be the RB1 if he regresses massively in every category. If he loses 30% of his points, he is still the RB1. That's ridiculous. <laughs> if you do that for literally, let me put this in perspective. If you do that for literally any other player, they drop at least 10 spots in their rankings. For like tight ends, it makes you irrelevant. McCaffrey could literally suck relative to his 2019 season and still be far and away the RB1. Literally the gap between McCaffrey and Aaron Jones. So Aaron Jones finishes the RB2, McCaffrey was the RB1. That difference between those two players was equivalent to the RB29. Like that <laughs> RB29, that's that's where he mostered. That's Ronald Jones last oh, year. Like you literally crazy. stack Aaron Jones and Raheem Mostert last season. That's how you get to McCaffrey. He, he's the best. So Steph, he's the best running back Steph, in the league right now. What percentage chance would you give McCaffrey to repeat as the RB1? Oh, man. You're putting me on the spot with something like this because I don't know. Like, I, I want to look through. Like, 2018 was Saquon Barkley. McCaffrey was the RB2. In 2017, it was that Todd Gurley massive year. Le'Veon Bell was the two. McCaffrey was a rookie. He was the RB10. In 2016, it was David Johnson, Ezekiel Elliott, Le'Veon Bell. It's hard to repeat three, like, as, as the RB1, man. You're, you're, I mean, McCaffrey's it's, it's, in another planet, but that's it's him the against thing. the field. Give that's me a percent. Thing. Give me a percent. Dude, I'm, give me like an 80% chance. Whoa, my gosh, yes. that's so high. It, it's, that is it so It would be high. dumb to not have him as your one. Dude, well, yeah, no, I agree. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. I have him ranked as my running back one. I'm not – like, if I'm putting my chips on one player – it's Christian McCaffrey, but I probably give him like a forty to fifty percent chance of actually really? finishing there. I think he can definitely really? do it. If there's anyone that can do it, it's McCaffrey. But like the entire field against McCaffrey is tough because, like you said, McCaffrey is sure to regress to some extent. And even with his regression, he's going to be in play for the RB one spot. But there's just like so many other players that could threaten that spot: Saquon, Zeke, Kamara, Ceh, Dalvin Cook. If any of these guys stay healthy and get on a hot offense this season, they're all involved in the passing game, there's no reason to believe they couldn't challenge for that number one spot. And all it takes is one to get hot. So, look, I agree with you. Like, Christian McCaffrey's ridiculous, and we could have a whole podcast on ridiculous CMC stats from the 2019 (laughs) season. He scored more fantasy points per game than Joe Mixon and Todd Gurley combined. Jeez. (laughs) Which is ridiculous. He played – 
100 more snaps than any other running back. He played more than double the snaps of either Josh Jacobs or Mark Ingram. So, yeah, McCaffrey's ridiculous. He's on the field essentially 100% of the time. He had 93% of snaps last season. There's still no other threats for touches in this backfield. It's him and Reggie Bonifant. So he's going to be out there a lot again. But there's just a lot changing in this offense. And, no, I don't think anyone's expecting him to put up the same caliber season he had last year. But new quarterback, new head coach, new receiver options. And to your point, maybe some of those are a good thing. Maybe the quarterback yeah, those all to me some sound more like opportunities. There's more weapons in the offense, new head coach. But there's just going to be some sort of continuity change here. So we're both in agreement that there's going to be regression. But I just think to assume someone's going to repeat as the RB1 is so tough to assume. And look, like I'm projecting him as the RB1, so I'm not doing anything crazy and throwing Saquon there or anything. But – with that, I will say, Steph, he's got to be the safest player in fantasy. Like People keep asking, oh, I get to pick my draft slot first this year. What pick should I take? To me, it's a no-brainer. You take one overall and you take Christian McCaffrey because not only does he have the most upside, but he also has the, the highest floor. What's his floor? Like RB5? Dude, maybe. Maybe. like RB3? <laughs> right? Unless, like, unless Carolina, and we're going to talk about the Carolina offense, but it, unless Carolina, like the wheels completely fall off, and this is it. Would the wheels were off last year? That's Cam what Newton I'm saying. Was gone. That's what I'm Will saying. Will Greer like, and what's his face, Kyle Allen, were starting half their games throwing it 600 times. The wheels were off, and he had one of the best seasons <laughs> of all time. The wheels falling off might be good for him because he is the only thing to put any respect on the Carolina Panthers' name if the wheels <laughs> fall off. So. No, I'm with you. Man. I'm with you 100%. But, but, Steph, speaking of, like, this Panthers team, I know we said last year they're rolling out Kyle Allen. They're rolling out um, Will Greer for some starts. They bring in Teddy Bridgewater. And a lot of people haven't really talked about him a ton from a fantasy perspective. I think we all are in agreement that it's a huge upgrade for this offense. But what is Teddy's ceiling in fantasy football this season? I know I've talked about him a little bit as a potential streamer, and you're in agreement yeah. with that. But – is he a guy that by the end of the season we could see as an every week starter, as a top 12 player, or can he not quite get there? And is he just in that streaming range of, you know, the, the Tannehills of the world and the Derek Carrs? Here, here's the thing, like, here, here's where all the ceiling comes from for me. And it kind of goes back to the wheels falling off with Teddy Bridgewater. Right now he's going as the quarterback 24. Absolutely love him there. Absolutely love him there. The ceiling in terms of pass volume could be what it was last year with the same struggling Panthers defense that just had all the downgrades that I just talked about. Luke Keekley's yeah, gone. Yeah, second most attempts in the NFL last year, right? Exactly. Only behind the Falcons, which were insane. They almost hit 700. So they threw the ball 633 times. All the top teams in attempts last year were – they had bad defenses. All of them had bad defenses. Falcons were number one. Panthers were number two. The Bucks secondary, Tampa Bay's was awful. They were fourth. The Bengals and the Dolphins were up there. At 6th and 7th, the Giants were at number 9 in terms of pass attempts. That's 6 out of the top 10 teams in pass attempts that had horrible defenses last year. That That's what the ceiling is in terms of Teddy's yeah. pass volume is around 600. Now, with McCaffrey there, with the type of quarterback that Teddy is, like I don't know if they're going to ask him to throw it 600 times, but he has weapons. This is the best receiving core or weapon core that Teddy Bridgewater has ever had. He has a great passer rating on post routes, slants, digs. He's always been efficient downfield. He just doesn't go downfield that often, and that's fine. He is a great system quarterback who can excel with a West Coast type of offense. Teddy has never been one to turn the ball over either, so 
look, if the coaches can put it all together, get their playmakers in space, don't ask Teddy to move outside of his comfort zone, I think this team could be very fun to watch offensively. And if Teddy gets 600 pass attempts, the worst a quarterback has finished on the fantasy season with 600 or more pass attempts. Last year, it was the quarterback 13 with Jared Groff last year. In 2018, it was Kirk Cousins, who was the QB 12. So it's a fringe quarterback one if okay. you're hitting 600 pass attempts. And I, I think Teddy, like, I believe in Teddy. I'm a Teddy homer. I think he's going to get there. I really do. I, 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 I really, I really think do think he's going to get it there. And he's, he's so late in your draft. He's a screaming value. He's free. And he starts the season against the Raiders. So you get an easy at bat in week one to beat everybody to the waiver wire if you want to take it that kind of philosophy or perspective on it. And then you get matchups against the Buccaneers. You get the Falcons twice. Like, I, I love it for Teddy. Yeah, no, you said it. Their division is the Falcons, the Saints, and the Bucks. We talk about how young and inexperienced and, quite frankly, likely bad this defense is <laughs> going to be this season. Going against the Falcons, the Saints, and the Bucks, those could easily be the top three scoring offenses in the NFL this season. They're at least all going to be, what, in the top ten? So they're going to be in these shootouts trying to keep up with teams. And Teddy's going to have to chuck the ball. The fact that they put it in Kyle Allen and Will Greer's hands to throw it over 600 times last season <laughs> tells me that if they went out and paid Teddy more than $20 million a year to come in and be their quarterback, they're going to let him throw the ball. And in his five-game stretch, he started last year with the Saints. He was the quarterback 12 in those five weeks. So he's shown that over a period of time, he can be an efficient and a good fantasy football quarterback. Um, and, and, yeah, he should throw the ball a ton this season. And, and one thing about Teddy, he gets this – this um, bad rap for not taking risks, not pushing the ball down the field. But his career yards per attempt is 7.2. That's, you know, Drew Brees' range for yards per attempt. And Brees is an incredibly high completion percentage guy. He's normally around 70. Well, Teddy's right in that same ballpark in completion That's more percentage. than Kyler last year. That's more than that's more than Aaron Rodgers last year. Yeah, so, I mean, he's 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 doing enough right and and look at the speed on this offense you have Robbie Anderson who has a 4.41 40 yard dash DJ Moore who comes in at 4.42 and Curtis Samuel who runs a 4.31 and then Jeez. CMC runs a 4.48 out of the backfield so they're going to be going vertical and like you said with DJ Moore he's got him on these slant routes these dig routes these easy completions and Moore can use his speed to get yards after the catch it's going to be the same deal with Robbie Anderson, Curtis Samuel. And Teddy loves taking what the defense gives him. So you're right. CMC is going to see a ton of dump offs, and he can make anything happen um, when he gets the ball in his hands. So with that career yards per attempt of 7.2, I know this is like a huge assumption, and I'm not saying this is going to happen, but if you took the 7.2 yards per attempt and 600 pass attempts, that's 4,300 yards. So not saying that, you know, if the volume rises for Teddy, the yards per attempt is going to stay the same or anything. But if we just look at his career averages, if he can get to those 600 attempts and maintain the yards per attempt that he's had to this point in his career, which is nothing ridiculous, he's easily going to be over 4,000 yards. And in this offense with these weapons, if he puts, you know, 25 touchdowns or so along with it, he's easily going to be a top 12 quarterback. So, you know, I think the offensive line is the biggest concern for me. They were 29th in pass protection last year, according to Football Outsiders, and they really didn't bring in a ton of help on the O-line. Um, but, look, they're, they're going to be in these boat races of games. They're going to be needing to score, you know, close to 30 points to win a lot of the time with that defense. So I don't mind Teddy Bridgewater as a streamer. And, Steph, we've talked about if, if your league has extended benches this season because of COVID. Say you normally have six bench spots, now you have 10 to pick up, <laughs> yes. to, to pick up you know, the third quarterback in your draft or a, or a second or third tight end. Use one of those spots and stash Teddy Bridgewater because even if he is a streamer, you're just going to have dibs on him every single week. And like we said, he's got tons of matchups against high-scoring offenses, and he's going to need to put up points.
Dude, McCaffrey being there is just it's just a lifesaver. It's like huge. that in and it's of huge. itself is a floor play. Even if like the 29th ranked pass protection, according to football outsiders, like that that isn't even really a concern for me because that just means dump offs to McCaffrey that can go to the house. Right. And look, like you you look at their other weapons real quick, like DJ Moore, you said it and I already Love said him. it again with the Love slants him. and the dig routes. Someone someone like Curtis Samuel literally can get the ball in his hands at the line of scrimmage and make things happen. So Curtis Samuel is a guy who I don't necessarily love for fantasy this season. I think we're going to talk about him maybe here in a second, but he's a guy that could pop a big play and get Teddy, you know, an 80 yard touchdown when Teddy didn't have to throw it 50 yards in the air. So if you're, if you're sitting there in the 13th round, you're at the point in the draft, you're, you're just, you know, making dart throws out there. Curtis Samuel in the 13th round, would you pull the trigger? Wide receiver 54 right now. An ADP. Uh, yeah, no, I'm probably not. Like, it's not like a hard no. I'm not disgusted at you suggesting that, but I'm. <laughs> it's, it just doesn't excite me. Like, there's so many names around that same area that have so much more upside. And I look at this offense. We've talked about it a lot already today. What's the upside for Curtis Samuel? Like, if I want an upside shot at wide receiver, I'm swinging for the fences. I'm going with Michael Pittman on the Colts. Maybe Sammy Watkins, Deshaun Jackson, Rashad Perriman, they're all going in that same range. And like Curtis Samuel in this offense, they have DJ Moore as the one. McCaffrey's going to get his touches. They might throw the ball a ton, but with Robbie Anderson in town, I just don't know that there's going to be enough for Curtis Samuel to be a consistent top option week in and week out. And I know Curtis Samuel was ninth in air yards last season, but Robbie Anderson was right there at 18th in air yards. So if there's going to be these downfield threats, I think it's kind of going to be split up between Robbie Anderson and Curtis Samuel. And it's going to be tough to trust either option unless one starts to clearly pull away in terms of snaps, targets, things like that. So, you know, if I'm looking at Curtis Samuel, even comparing him to Robbie Anderson, I, I'm really not interested in either of them. Um, and honestly, they play different roles in this offense. Like Anderson's going to be a vertical threat and a burner where Samuel can get open deep, but he's more of a gadget player around the line of scrimmage and across the middle as well. So I don't think they're necessarily even going to be competing for snaps. It's just going to be a matter of who Teddy tends to lock in on or prefer on a week over week basis. So I'm probably out on Samuel. I have nothing against him. If he shows promise in the first couple of weeks with his snaps, his targets, I'm willing to pick him up off the waivers. But um, Steph, what do you think? Hey, if you're, if you're fired up right now, we're talking about the Panthers. If, if you're all in, on Teddy and this offense this year, like if you believe in Joe Brady, you believe in Matt Rule. Sure, why not? Why not take the flyer on Curtis Samuel? Take the dart throw there. I have no doubt that during the season he he will be a guy that we can stream at wide receiver too. And we'll talk yeah. about some of those other names later. You know, our deep shots of the week. Got to plug that. But Curtis Samuel is probably not a guy I'm going to draft. Like other names of that ADP, I, I think I would take a Justin Jefferson over him just for the higher upside. A Golden Tate over him. Nikhil Harry, Preston Williams, like, I, I don't know if Curtis Samuel is, is even the wide receiver two on this team. He's like the 2A to Anderson's 2B, and that's that's the killer. Robbie Anderson, he's right next to him in ADP. He's the wide receiver 56, so two spots lower. You're taking a shot with with all the names of the ADP, but, I mean, maybe other than Golden Tate. Golden Tate can be a floor play, but personally, I won't be going for Curtis Samuel because at the 13th round is really where I'm taking shots at tight end. I'm grabbing a quarterback. I'm not fading Curtis Samuel. He's just there, there's other dart throws that I personally would rather make just because I have there's there's a world where the Panthers suck. Let's be real. Like there's that's a very realistic world, Steph. I think we might be living in it. <laughs> well, I'm even talking like offensively. They could like I love Teddy. You know I do. I love all their weapons. Love McCaffrey. We just talked about it. But 
What's to say Matt Rule isn't just awful at the pro level? Like, I think he's going to be good, but there's no guarantee. It's a tough division, too. It's a tough same, division. Exactly. Like same, like Joe Brady, like, what's to say he's going to be great at the pro level? You know, we've seen many guys, college coaches that have been successful, come into the NFL and just just not be able to bring it. You know, so there, there is a world where that, that pace of play slows down. There's just not enough to go around. Maybe the defense is better than we think. Maybe a few of their draft picks hit. You know, or or teams just want to run the clock out on them. So, I do have some concerns there. I'm taking other dart throws. Now, another quick question, shifting gears here completely. Saw this question on our show sheet. Was pretty interested. I'll have you go first on this one. Can Josh Allen, Bills quarterback Josh Allen, finish as a top five quarterback this season? Josh Allen. I'm glad you clarified that it was the Bills quarterback. For some reason, I thought you were asking if the Jags D end could have been a top five quarterback. So thank you for the clarification there. Um, but hey, 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 we have he, new listeners. All right, we want to we want to incorporate. We want to be that's true. We want to be true. tolerant to the noobs. We want them to learn. You know. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so Josh Allen, quarterback of the Buffalo Bills, can <laughs> you said can he finish as a top five quarterback? Like, yeah, he can finish as a top five quarterback. Is he going to? No. And here's why he's, I mean, he's the quarterback seven right now. So, and I have him ranked at my quarterback eight. So it's not like a ridiculous question. I have him at seven. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to be right in that ballpark, but here it's, it's as simple as this for me, Steph top five. So I'm going to just list off some names here. Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, Dak Prescott, Kyler Murray, Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson, which two of those guys is he going to beat out to get in the top five? Is it like, he could beat out Kyler and Russell Wilson. Is it likely he beats out both? Probably not. And on top of having to beat out two of the five I just mentioned, he also has to beat out the rest of the entire field. When We, we always see these quarterbacks come out of nowhere and, and vault themselves to elite status. It was Mahomes two years ago and Lamar Jackson last year. This year, I know there's a lot of flyer names we like late. We like Danny Dimes. We like Joe Burrow. Like Who knows who's going to emerge? Yeah, yeah, Cam could always do it. So to... to he can be a top five quarterback. I'm not going to draft him to be a top five quarterback because when I look at Josh Allen and where you're getting him as the QB seven in terms of ADP, there's a lot of players later on in drafts that I think actually have similar upside that are not going to cost me nearly as much like Carson Wentz, even Matt Stafford, Aaron Rodgers, and Danny Dimes, I yep. think all could creep up to the same territory as Josh Allen. Allen's going to be safer. And I think the likelihood of him getting into the top five is higher than all those other guys, but they're not that far behind to be, you know, four, five, six rounds later. So really with Josh Allen, it just comes down to rushing volume, especially the touchdowns. Last season he ran for 500 yards and nine touchdowns, nine rushing touchdowns for a quarterback. That's big. But he was still only the quarterback six on nine rushing touchdowns, and that's going to be hard to replicate, especially when you bring in Zach Moss, who should be a better goal line back than Frank Gore was last year at that stage in his career. So – for me, it comes down to the rushing. Not only is he going to have to replicate that ridiculous rushing season he had, which he can definitely do, but he's also going to have to be incredibly more efficient as a passer. He barely eclipsed 3,000 yards last season, and he was still under 60% on his completion percentage. So I think Stephon Diggs comes into this offense and helps Allen in the passing game, but he's going to have to push 4,000 yards um, and 25 touchdowns along with that rushing work to get close to the top five. Or he'll be close to the top five. But to get into the top five, I think he's going to have to get closer to 4,000 yards and really up the passing volume and efficiency. So I think he's safe. But top five is going to be a battle. Top five is going to be a battle. 
he's he just to me like you who are we talking about the other day that we christian kirk we said christian kirk is just you know you go to the snack aisle you <laughs> see some of your exotic flavors you get like your jalapeno chips you got your uh you know your 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 mustard pretzels and the plain bag of pretzels that you're like you're okay with it you're not gonna be disappointed it's so hey i got some pretzels i got a good snack it's quality you know what you're getting but it's just not why not take the upside on a more exotic option a later option don't devote the draft capital to josh allen unless he just completely falls if he does get to the top five and i am expecting him to improve i I am a josh allen believer I, i think he's a very good player I think he's he gets a lot of unjustified hate. This is the best weapons group that he's had. He now has a true alpha wide receiver one with Diggs. He still has John Brown there, who you know we saw that rapport building over the Wasn't season. Wasn't he like a top wide receiver two last year or something ridiculous like that? Yeah, totally yeah, under was, the radar. He was in. Yeah, I think he was wide receiver sixteen. I'll I'll fact check it while you're talking. Yeah, fact fact check me on that. But if if he does get into the top five, it will be you you said it. it it's the rushing. It's the rushing. And and Graham Barfield had a great tweet recently. It's uh, rushing fantasy points per game among quarterbacks over the last three years, including postseason. Number one, big whoop-de-doo, it's Lamar Jackson. Number two is Josh Damn. Allen. 8.5 fantasy points per game Whoa. Over, over the last three years. So that's, that's number two. That's above Deshaun Watson. That's a higher rushing floor than Cam Newton, Kyler Murray, Dak Prescott, Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes. So if he gets there, we're relying on the... I know some guys call it the Konami code. That's what we're relying on with with Josh Allen. If the rushing's there, I don't and the thing is I don't expect him to rush more. They're they're putting pass catching weapons in front of them. They're bringing in a running back to take some of that pressure off of Allen on the ground. So I don't see yeah, that being there. Like, yes, it could improve. I don't see it exploding. I don't see him hitting yeah, so seven hundred yards. John Brown is the wide receiver 20 last season in full PPR. And I don't think any of us think of John Brown as a true wide receiver one in the league. Now you give him digs with Brown as the two and Beasley as a three. Hopefully Dawson Knox finally taking a step forward at tight end. I think people have been trying to wish the breakout into existence. I don't think it's ever going (laughs) to happen though, but you give him those guys and a couple running backs that can be versatile and do different things. Singletary and Moss can both both catch the ball. And maybe this offense though is going to have to have more volume in 2020 for him to get there you just look at the other names we're talking about like Lamar Mahomes and Dak are are locks but even like Kyler Deshaun Watson Russell Wilson those are all offenses that are getting it done and you think about the Bills team and you think about a football team that's focused on the defensive side of the ball and winning games like 21 to 17 so I just I just don't know like it's gonna have to be a philosophy change for the Bills their defense didn't get a lot worse this offseason and they were towards the top of the league last year I think they're gonna be stingy again and I just can't imagine this offense being, you know, a top five, really even top eight volume offense in 2020. So because of that, I'm going to pass on Josh Allen and let someone else take the gamble there in the middle and here, rounds. Here's here's the thing, too. Josh Allen could actually be the QB5, like somewhere around there in the first part of the season. But oh, yeah. his last stretch of games is absolutely brutal, starting in the end of, of November. So this is on the 29th. They have a game against the Chargers. After that, they face the 49ers, the Steelers, the Broncos, and the Patriots. That's that's just such a scary stretch. And he kind of had one like this last year, too, and we saw the same thing happen. So he's he's a guy that, you know, he's going to give you the rushing floor. If you're in a pinch, you can throw him in there. You're probably not going to be – he's not going to ruin a week for you. But now one thing I want to talk about here, Alex, something I've been very, very much rising on and, and – 
when we first started getting into mocks this year, you know, you were taking the the two tight end approach in your drafts. You would gra- grab Let's a go. <laughs> a mid round guy. I know Man, where this I'm is going. The, and I was I was all about the one tight end. Like I was like, no, don't waste another draft pick on a tight end. But I've really come around after digging into some of the tight end breakouts over the last couple of years, um, especially in a year like this one where you could get a couple extra bench spots added in. I've mm-hmm. I've swung all the way to grabbing potentially three tight ends late in my draft. Whoa. Every year we see a couple guys it. break out seemingly out of nowhere. We had Darren Waller. Mark Andrews last season in 2018, we saw breakouts from George Kittle, Austin Hooper, even David Njoku was a top, I think he was eighth uh, in 2018 at the tight end position. We saw Jared Cook break out in 2017, his first year in Oakland. Like if you're taking these shots on these deeper tight ends, I like somebody's got to break out. We see it every single season. And so it's like, hey, you're already going to cut most of the players you grab in the later rounds of your draft anyways. Why not grab a few lottery tickets Spread out your chances, and if one hits, now you have a weekly advantage at the tight end position. And this worked out for me great last year because I was a guy on the Mark Andrews train. And it worked out tremendously. And, and so here's the guys that I have. This is the this is going late tight end. You don't get a Kittle. You don't get a Kelsey. I know you'll probably talk about Hurston Higby. I'm kind of out on these guys unless they really, really fall. And the, the running backs and the wide receivers are just gross, and they're still there. Sure. Why not? Maybe even Evan Ingram as well. Uh, but yep. here's what I got. Tier one of, of the late tenant strategy, you got Noah Fant, TJ Hawkinson, Mike Isiki, Blake Jarwin, Johnny Smith. At tier two, you got Jack Doyle, Ian Thomas, Irv Smith. And then in tier three, for the real freaks, <laughs> Jay Sternberger, Dawson Knox, Dawson Knox, and CJ, little CJ Vert, CJ Ozama, Uzama Yikes. in there. Uh, we'll throw them in, even though it might actually be Drew Sample as the, the tight end to own in Cincy, if you want to take the shot. But J.J. Zacharyson, everybody knows him, at Late Round QB on Twitter, FanDuel Sports Network podcaster, fantastic, go listen to his show. He was looking at what, what goes into the recipe of a breakout tight end, and there were two things that he mentioned uh, that that make a lot of sense to me, and it makes some of these names even more appealing. There's There's two things that have a high correlation with a breakout tight end. It is actually draft capital one of the highest correlations in breakout between draft capital and and breakout versus running backs wide receivers if you get a tight end early the team invests in them they're probably going to use them and there's a correlation with a good quarterback and that just that just makes sense because everything is dependent on the quarterback for any pass catching weapon but i mean what is that so draft capital and a good quarterback well that makes a lot of sense to me when we're looking at tj oh, hawkinson yeah. Blake Jarwin, Noah Fant, Jonu Smith. I mean, Blake Jarwin, or I'm sorry, Noah Fant and TJ Hawkinson were were first and second they round They were both picks. in the first round, Steph. Were I, they? I was looking at this the other day, and I was blown away because no Noah way. Fant was taken 20th overall, and Hawkinson was taken 8th overall, and wow. they both went to Iowa. Like, what are they putting in their corn <laughs> in Iowa to get both of these guys wow. as tight ends on the same team as top 20 picks. That's crazy to me. And we know rookie tight ends don't typically produce in their rookie season. So you look at Fan and I love the call out. You look at Fan and Hawkinson, the draft capital's there. And I, I think you were getting here, but Hawkinson has Stafford as his quarterback. They're going to be a passing offense. That's great. And then Noah Fant, yeah, we don't really know about Drew Locke, but he could easily be the number two target on that team. Dude, exact. Same with Johnny Smith. John, Johnny Smith could be the two. Irv Smith. Yeah. Could be the two. It's a hot take. 
but I'm throwing it out there. Irv Smith could be the two in Minnesota if Justin Jefferson can't elevate. I'm not going to project it, but I think there's a world that it happens. We know the Vikings have lost some some members on the defensive side of the ball. I think they're going to throw a little bit more this year. I think there will be regression to the mean for them. They threw dead last last year. So I think there'll be more passing volume there. No stuff on digs. I love Irv Smith as a flyer. I really do. Um, and there, there was a draft That's that a I did the other day. I was able to get Fant and Hawkinson and sure. Irv Smith. And I felt great. Whoa. So Going these are, for the triple. Again, these are with my last three. Uh, I think like, I reached up a little bit on Fant. Like he was my fourth to last pick. But I mean, last last four rounds, last four picks. So I love it. I, I love it, man. You've, you kind of got yeah. me there hey, to the edge. And then over this last week, just looking into yes. it, like I'm all in. I'm all in. I wasn't going to shove you. I let you fall off the edge on your own. <laughs> but I've been preaching this for so long. I am so glad to finally have you on board. And I, I did this last year and it worked to perfection. I, I love taking two tight ends in drafts because there's never enough tight ends. Like I love taking someone volatile, maybe in the middle rounds. And even if you do it, I love taking someone volatile. So whether it's because of injury risk or involvement uncertainty, and then another option later on, that's just another dart flip, another dart throw. Like last year I took Evan Ingram in the middle rounds of my draft and he was tight end two through the first five games of the season. I knew he had injury risk, and I also picked up Darren Waller late in my draft. Oh, I was nice. all aboard that Hard Knocks hype. Um, shout out to Hard Knocks season as well. Hey, that's, and that paid off perfectly. Starts I had this the week. Tight end two. Yeah, I had the tight end two through five weeks, and then also had Darren Waller, who was an incredible value and in one of the breakouts at the position. So you, you mentioned I was going to bring this up, but I love grabbing Higby or Hurst in those middle rounds. They are high upside plays, but there's still a lot of uncertainty with their situation, how they're going to be used. Um, Higby, we don't know what the offense is going to look like. Hurst, obviously, on a new team. And then the late-round flyers, Gasecki, Fant, Hawkinson, Jarwin. Give me one of those guys in the last couple of rounds as well. And here's the thing. If they suck, cut them. Who cares? Yeah. But if they're good, you have an incredibly valuable trade chip at the tight end position. If you look at the tight end position, it's actually kind of like musical chairs. There are more teams. If we're talking about a typical 12-team league or, or higher – there are more teams in the league than there are week in and week out starters at the tight end position. It's been that way for years. And if you get two of the startable tight ends, you have a ton of value because the teams that don't have a tight end are going to say, okay, what's the one thing I can do to improve my lineup? It's the tight end spot. And no one else is going to be willing to trade one because they don't want to be in that same position. So if you have two, you have some leverage in that scenario. And just to illustrate this stuff in a typical 12 team league, that means there's going to be 12 starting tight ends. So here is the tight end 12 points per game for the last three seasons. This past year, the tight end 12 averaged 8.5 fantasy points per game. The year before, it was 8.2. And the year before that, it was 8.3. Shout so out to there's Jason someone Witt. in your league. Yeah, there is someone in your league starting a tight end week in and week out, giving them eight fantasy points a game. And you know they're not happy with that production. I wouldn't be happy with it. And people are starting that or they're trying to stream the position and pray for a touchdown. And if it doesn't happen, they're getting five points. So the tight end spot is an incredible value one. So you don't end up in that situation. Give yourself another chance to get your tight end in the, in the limited um, quantity of tight ends in the league. And then also if you end up hitting on both, or if you said you draft three, maybe hit two out of three or perfect scenario, three out of three, you have some incredible trade chips in your league where you can get some really good value and have some people overpay. 
So we've talked about along the same strategy. We've talked about a few of the names there. Jack Doyle is one. We've both said he's being completely slept on. Right now his ADP is as a tight end 19, drafted early Ooh, 14th wow. round. So he'll be there late. Uh, and our boy CFP Nation commented on our Doyle segment that we recorded way back. He said, just did a 12-team PPR draft. I have a ton of depth at running back and wide receiver, but I ended up having to take Doyle as my tight end one. Should I try to trade him and get rid of most of my depth or just rock with him week one? Well, CFP, I mean, you got him in the 14th, so I'm assuming you just loaded up at every other position up until then, assuming you're at ADP. Doyle finishes the wide receiver, or, uh, tight end 19 last year. To me, I would say keep the depth. Keep the depth. What, what you have with Doyle, essentially what you have to know is, safe. Is, is you've essentially committed, you've committed yourself to streaming the tight end position. Maybe if you can drop you know, the last wide receiver you picked up, the second to last wide receiver you picked up, a super deep running back that you have, you know, maybe you can grab a guy like an Ian Thomas, like a Irv Smith. But, uh, I mean, if Johnny or Jarwin are out there, grab him. But the fact that you got Doyle makes me think that, that they were probably already off the board. If you're committed to streaming now with Doyle, he's not going to be a ceiling play. He's not, he's not a Travis Kelsey. Like, he doesn't, he can't get there. But no. Phillip Rivers coming in, got some touchdown upside on a week-to-week basis. You're probably going to have to keep your eyes on the waiver wire, take some shots on some potential breakouts during the season, probably earlier in the season than you may would normally. But Doyle is a great streamer. I love him as a streamer. Here's his early schedule. Jacksonville Jaguars, Minnesota Vikings, New York Jets, and then he does play the Bears, but then Browns, Bengals, Lions. So great schedule to start the year. Soft defenses all around. If Phillip Rivers... Can, can upgrade this team? Like, why why can't Jack Doyle be a part of that? We've seen him use tight ends continuously in the red zone. Antonio Gates, even guys before that. I I, I like it. I like it as a streaming option there with Jack Doyle. So, CFP, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to tell you to, to drop your depth. Don't, like, wipe out your roster to go after another tight end. No, keep Doyle. Yeah, just keep him on there. Just stream you, him. You for, sure, you for sure keep Doyle. Here's why. And I think – it's, I think he's actually more than a streamer, especially if you do have an extra bench spot or two this season because of some of the COVID stuff going on. Jack Doyle is more than a streamer because you should not be – like when I think about streaming a position, I pick up a quarterback, I play him, and I drop him for another quarterback. I don't think you drop Jack Doyle to waivers because I have him as a top 10 tight end right now. I think Doyle is actually a player. You can start every single week, and he's probably not going to give you that huge upside 25-point Noah Fant game where he goes for an 80-yard touchdown – but Doyle's going to be fairly safe. He, you know, he he has Philip Rivers coming in as his quarterback, as you mentioned. And in, in L.A. last year, Hunter Henry saw over six targets a game. So Rivers loves to target the position. Doyle is on the field a ton. He had the sixth most snaps of all tight ends last year. And he just got a three-year, $21 million extension in December. And he made the Pro Bowl last season, which <laughs> we all tend to forget about. I think I was in a coma during that whole entire, you know, situation with him down um, at the Pro Bowl, but you know Doyle is a safe option, and I think Steph, like you said, you you should keep Doyle in your lineup. But while you have Doyle locked in, whether he's on your bench or in your lineup, keep working the waiver wire and try to find that breakout player. Try to pick up an Ian Thomas and see if he sticks. Look at the waiver wire and say, 
okay, I see Mike Gesicki. He probably won't be on waivers, but Blake Jarwin has a great matchup this week. I'm going to try Blake Jarwin out this week. But if you're looking at the waiver wire and you're like, oh, snap, like there are no other tight ends, just plug in Doyle, and he's probably not going to lose you your week. He's not going to win a week, but he's not going to give you like a – you know, two points week after week, just burning you time and time again. I think he's going to get enough volume in this offense to finish as a top 10 tight end, and it doesn't really take much to get there. But he's a safe play, and there's no reason to, to trade other positions where you might have a little bit of an advantage to try to upgrade Jack Doyle because what are you really going to get for your depth? Are you going to upgrade Jack Doyle to, like, Austin Hooper? I, I just don't think anything like that is worth it, especially no. when depth is going to be really important this year. And believe it or not, Jack Doyle was fourth tied for fourth in the NFL in target separation last season. Uh, and, Sheesh. I mean, here, here's something else, too, where, like, it just adds to this take that Doyle is a, is a great streaming option. It's like he's the most experienced pass-catching weapon that Rivers is going to have because, well, maybe not – I mean, T.Y. Hilton's there, but T.Y. Hilton has the injury risk. And then it's, what, Paris Campbell, who had a rough rookie season – dealt with injury he's coming back I do like him as an upside play one of those dart throws in that Curtis Samuel range that we were talking about um but then Michael Pittman that's a rookie in the shortened offseason so there could be a world where it's where Doyle is the heavy heavily relied upon safety valve for Rivers so I, I love it I love it Steph speaking of streaming a position I see this in the show doc and at first I was like what the heck are you talking about it says, is it possible to stream your wide receiver too? Now, that is an absurd take. And I, I have a feeling, I think I know what you're going to say. And when I started to dig into it, I was actually a bit surprised. But Steph, you're not looking to ever stream your wide receiver too. But in a pinch, tell me your strategy on how you can get it done. Yeah, so especially in weeks where you need more upside. So I'll give you an example last year. You're against the team that has McCaffrey and Lamar Jackson. You're against the team that has McCaffrey and the Patriots defense. Like you just know that you're going to need some extra heat if you're going to win that week. That's where I love streaming the wide receiver two position. Or if you do need a floor play, maybe you don't have a single option. Guys are on buys. Guys are injured, especially this year with COVID. Like let's say you don't have a second option. It's You're looking at like, you know, Hunter Renfro or somebody on the waivers, I may look to the waivers in that situation. Yeah. And, and, and to just clarify real in. quick, before you continue to clarify, this is like assuming, like obviously we would rather stream the flex spot, but this is maybe assuming you have three good running backs and you you are really lacking at the wide receiver spot. Because to me, I normally start a wide receiver in my flex, especially in PPR. Oh yeah. So it's like if I'm streaming wide receiver too, I'm also streaming my flex, but this is assuming you have a running back in the flex spot. And if you do, you know, or your last receiver is your flex spot. This would essentially be streaming that last wide receiver that's in your starting lineup. Exactly, exactly. And this this is where deep shots of the week, guys, in season, we do a weekly Let's segment go. called Deep Shots of the Week. We call it. We make crazy claims on these deep waiver names that we know are going to be there. If you just need upside, you can stream them at your flex or wide receiver too. Listen to some of the names that finished in the top 12 at some point last season. Demarcus Robinson had a week where he was the wide receiver one. John Ross had couple, multiple weeks where he was in the top five on a weekly basis. Philip Dorsett had a, had a week. Larry Fitzgerald, Nelson Aguilar, Zach Pascal. I would never tell you to start him because that would just mean I'm a bad fantasy analyst. But Corey Davis had weeks where he was a <laughs> wide receiver one last year. That's nuts. And, I mean, I was just knocking it down left and right on our deep shots of the week last year. And so were you. But we had, I mean, I was calling out Russell Gage. 
I, I called uh, Darius Slayton when he put up 34 points on a week. Brashad Perriman, you were all aboard the Stephen Sims hype train later in the year when he was the, what, wide receiver nine across the last four weeks, something like that. Yeah. So, I mean, if you feel weak at wide receiver and you need to hit for one week, I'm totally okay with streaming in that situation. So it's very situational. I'm not going to say, hey, definitely stream your wide receiver two spot and just grab all your running backs and your tight ends and your quarterbacks. No, don't do that. But if you need to stream the wide receiver too, I think it's completely it's possible, completely feasible. You can still win weeks. You can win fantasy championships. I've had playoff runs where I'm plugging in Russell Gage at my wide receiver two for multiple weeks. You can do it. So it's I mean, not last a deal year, If you had Steven Sims, Rashad Perriman, DeAndre Washington, and Boston Scott in your playoff run, you were probably winning games, which wow. is ridiculous to say. But as the season goes on, like this stuff gets crazy, especially this year in a COVID year. There's going to be opportunity that presents itself on certain weeks for certain players in good matchups that aren't normally going to be there and that's where Steph and I will go in we'll dig into the data we'll say hey so this player has this opportunity this week you know Russell Gage is playing with Calvin Ridley out so he's going to have more opportunity to get targets they're playing the Saints defense they don't guard well against you know the wide receiver two spot that's a great matchup that's why we call it out and Russell Gage goes out and gets you 20 points so they're definitely deep shots, and we try to keep it, you know, in our deep shots of the week segment. We've plugged it a lot here, but players that no matter what league you're in, unless you have like 20 bench spots in a dynasty, <laughs> are going to be on the waiver wire. I, I think some of these calls last year, even looking at the big ones with Gage and Slayton and Perriman and Sims, I think they were like 10% owned or less. So we're always looking at players that aren't the big waiver wire pickup of the week. They're just sitting there waiting to be plugged into a lineup. I know I started Zach Pascal last week, and he got me 20 points. So I definitely don't want to stream my wide receiver, <laughs> wide receiver two spot, but if I'm going to pinch because of injuries or my team is just super thin and I'm stacked at running back and I'm not balanced at my wide receiver spot or my flex spot, it's something I'm definitely willing to do. And there are times where you just feel a little crazy, yellow freaky, and you throw Steven Sims in the flex and see what he does. <laughs> so look, I, I love it. And I'm with you, Steph. And I'm going to make a way too early week one deep shot Ooh. of the week prediction here. I think Jalen Hurd is a name to keep your eye on okay. in San Francisco. Travis Benjamin opted out. Debo Samuel is, is likely going to miss week one. Um, and then you've got uh, Brandon Ayuk, who's coming in as a rookie with a shortened camp. Jalen Hurd redshirted last season and they invested some decent draft capital in him. I think he was actually a third round pick. So Keep your eye out for Jalen Hurd. Don't take my word for it now. We've got a lot that's going to change before the season, but I'm going to go ahead and throw a shot out there early here. Yeah, third-round pick out of Baylor, Jalen Hurd. Uh, I, I don't mind it. I don't mind it. I think he's an interesting dynasty stash as well. Uh, he, I mean, we'll see. We'll see. We'll get there when we get there. I don't think uh, we're going to have a deep shots maybe for week one, but we can still call it and take some victory laps if we hit. Wow. Well, Alex, hell of an episode. Hell of an episode. A lot of great topics here. If you guys have any that you want us to address next time around, by all means, drop it in those comments. Hit us up on Twitter. You can see we're kind of changing up our style here. We're trying to be less segmented, more free-flowing. And I I really like how this episode went. So this is probably what we're going to stick to. Alex, you feeling the same way? Yeah, absolutely. And in season, I I think we're going to have some stuff you hear from us week in and week out. We'll, We'll try to roll through starts of the week. We love doing the deep shots. We love doing games we're looking forward to. But a lot of it's just going to be conversations about these teams. What do you think about this player? What do you think about this offense? And we're just going to let it flow from there. So, again, if you're listening and you enjoyed this episode, 
Seriously, hit that subscribe button. It Do does it. a ton. One, for our confidence, let's be real. Two, <laughs> for the algorithms. Like, YouTube got these algorithms. I don't know who's writing this code, but every time we hit someone, get someone hitting that subscribe button, it's only going to help us. Um, it's going to help build this community to be even bigger than it is now. And it's going to get these discussions in the comments and things going. So again, hit that subscribe button and comment down below with players you'd like to see us break down next or teams or situations or draft questions. Let's Typically go. every episode, Steph, it seems like we've got a question or two from the comments that we like to throw in. We don't get a ton of comments and questions right now. So if this is the time where if you really want to hear us talk about a certain player situation, drop it in and we'd love to hit on it. And with all that said... Thank you all so much for listening and watching. We really appreciate it. And we'll see you next time. Peace. Peace. Let's go. Month till football, baby. Less than. Hard knock season.